You're listening to Lost in Sound, a podcast exploring music, identity, and the future. My name's Paul Hanford. I've always believed that one of the best ways we come together is through music. And through this series, I'm looking at how music can and is bringing us together now and in the future. From my base in Berlin, we'll be meeting artists from a range of disciplines from all across the world who are drawing on music right now, some already exploring new ways of doing this. In this episode... I had a chat with Zakia Sewell. Hey, how are you? I hope you're having a really good one today. I'm by the river in Kreuzberg in Berlin. As I often am at the moment. And it's a beautiful, fresh, cold day. I've been thinking a lot this week about Englishness and Britishness rather and what it means particularly at the moment I made the decision to not go home for Christmas to see my family because you know I'm quite sad about it but you know because I just feel like it's the responsible thing for me to do anyway my my folks are old and travel you know is is just right now and it's particularly weird like spending the seasonal period which I will be in Europe at the exact time as well that Britain will be bombing out of the EU and it does make me reflect on my own kind of awkward relationship with my British identity really there are things that are really cool about English no matter how awkward like other things are like ugly nationalism and, and, and bombing out of the EU and all of that bullshit. There's there's things like PG tips and Marmite and little things that like just make me go a little bit kind of gooey inside. And they're only just like little silly details. Um, on the show today, I spoke with Zakia Sewell, DJ, audio producer, radio host. Her show on NTS questing which is on Saturday mornings has so often this year been like a magical gift that comes in at the beginning of the weekend she plays a mixture of celestial jazz psychedelic folk all kinds of stuff but it's so vibrational and so deep and it just has some kind of transformative effect on how the rest of the weekend goes with me And she's just made an incredible Radio 4 documentary series, My Albion, which explores the songs, stories and symbols that make up British national identity. I spent such a big part of my youth growing up in rural Dorset on the south coast of England. 
feeling really connected to this kind of sort of mythical, paganistic, kind of psychedelic, folky, droney, psychedelic-y, dare I say it, Wicker Man-esque kind of thing. And in her show, she draws into this kind of mythical old Albion-ness and explores it from a kind of multicultural, inclusive perspective. She says, I'm going to quote, I go on a quest for Albion in the hope that we may heal the wounds of history and find hopeful visions of the future. And she looks at the kind of the way the music plays a role in that. And so I really, really wanted to speak to her about this, particularly at this time. How are you doing? You're right. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. We're, we're an hour ahead of you in Berlin, so I'm kind of that kind of in-between-my-two-morning-coffees kind of state uh-huh. of being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to start by just kind of just generally asking how your year has been, really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a big question. It's been good. It's had its ups and downs. Um, I sort of at the start of the year, I had a lot of um, sort of travel and DJ trips. I was meant to be going to Japan and I was meant to be going to Senegal to record a documentary. So I had quite a loads planned and then it kind of um, all kind of, yeah, it it didn't happen. And that was quite, that was quite something to have to sort of grapple with at the start. Mm. But then um, in that kind of, in the debris of all my former plans, sort of my Albion, this series that I've been working on sort of emerged. So looking back, I'm quite, in a way, quite glad that it turned out the way it did. But at the time, yeah, it was kind of tricky. How about you? Um, yeah, kind of similar, really. It was like, um, I think I had a lot of plans and initially a lot of things got cancelled. For me, it was a lot of writing work because I was writing about a lot of things involved with music that were initially you know involved with touring and the live experience Um, but out of that I kind of reworked this podcast and that kind of came to me a lot stronger really so it's interesting to know that my so so my Albion came out of this year as a concept yeah well it's yeah I think the the kind of nucleus of it has sort of been floating around for a while, but it was very much, yeah, it was sort of um, in the midst of of the first lockdown, um, there was an opportunity to pitch a series. And so it was kind of, um, yeah, very much tied up in um, sort of that experience of being at home, um, but also the sort of Black Lives Matter movement that was sort of kind of playing out in front of our eyes on our screens as we were all sort of isolated in our little bubbles. And I feel that in a way, um, that that moment, although it seems in a way, it's not the connection's not obvious. <laughs> what the connection between sort of mythical old Albion and Black Lives Matter is, but they they absolutely were kind of um, yeah they. It was absolutely Black Lives Matter that sort of informed my thinking about um, the series. So did it sort of trigger off something that you felt was always kind of there that you were wanting to explore? Did it kind of give it like a kind of a a way of explaining something to you? Yeah, so yeah, there's been this... I've always felt this kind of um, big draw to sort of English folk music, but... English folk music has a real, as a kind of vehicle or as a way into this sort of alternative vision or view of Britain. Um, this kind of mythical, magical past. 
um, that, you know, sort of tied up with stone circles and druids and all of that stuff. And um, that's kind of always been there. And it's always been, it's always felt like kind of a fertile idea of something to explore, especially as, you know, someone of mixed heritage with links to the Caribbean. I have felt a bit like, oh, why, why am I into all this weird stuff, you know? So that's kind of been there for a while. But actually the genesis of the programme, um, we had a sort of a series um, kind of bookmark for Radio 4 that was sort of about more like music interviews, something kind of just quite a nice idea, quite pleasant, like it'd be fun. But and there came the opportunity to sort of rethink that idea. But it was sort of as Black Lives Matter was sort of, it was sort of, um, you know, erupting. And I kind of felt like now's probably not the time to just do like quite a nice, pleasant, lovely series interviewing musicians about their influences. It actually feels like a time to do something more meaningful and that's going to have more impact. Um, and also sort of using my platform with like a Radio 4 audience to sort of tell stories that are actually going to challenge that audience a bit, a bit more or kind of be a bit more probing and questioning. So um, it's sort of, we brought this world of mythical Albion and English folk into that, into that idea, but um, actually using that as a vehicle to explore bigger questions about colonialism, about British national identity, about right wing nationalism. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it, it gave, I guess Black Lives Matter kind of gave me a bit of fire to sort of um, do something a little bit more, a bit more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely love it. And um, I think it, I'm, I'm learning. It's one of these things that I really love is that I'm learning a lot from listening to it as well. Like I grew up in Dorset. Um, and so I kind of grew up with, um, I think when I was younger, I was a bit of a stoner. And I, we'd sort of, <laughs> you know, like me and friends would kind of drive off at night to these old kind of ruined castles and, and listen mm. to things like Nick, Nick Drake and things like that. And it felt really mythical to me. Um, but like, I was also kind of growing up in a very small kind of quite white bubble really. And mm. so it was, it's been so interesting for me to listen to the show and just kind of, uh, take on, on, on all of the kind of perceptions and ideas that you talk about in it. But how, how did this kind of sense of mystical Albion kind of originally kind of come into your life? Well, it's it's quite funny because so in the first episode, actually, you know, there are kind of multiple beginnings, and as, as actually throughout the series, because there are there are many there are different sort of origin stories, you might say, for my um, fascination with Albion. One of them is um, that my dad took me to go and see Pentangle, um, this like psychedelic folk yeah. group. I'm sure if you, if you, yeah, I'm sure as a Nick Drake fan, you're well aware of Pentangle. Um, so when I was about 14, my dad took me to go and see them at the Royal Festival Hall. And it, you know, bear in mind that I was sort of listening to like grime and hip-hop and like you know dizzy rascal and ashanti and jar rule and stuff at school it wasn't like folk wasn't my thing at all but my dad like dragged me along and um i i i loved it i just loved it and um but it was sort of yeah this pentangle in particular um you know it's very it's kind of psychedelic and it's quite cosmic but it's also this kind of or quite sort of um you know traditional folky thing all mixed up in one um so that really appealed to me and I sort of carried a few of these songs I'd heard at that that concert with me for quite a long time sort of in private mm. <laughs> and would only like share them with friends yeah if we were sort of getting stoned or getting drunk at a party and they needed like someone needed to put some weird music on to do a silly dance or something <laughs> like um so so yeah that kind of stayed with me um but also I spent 
a large part of my childhood um, in Wales with my grandparents um, in a place called Larn in Carmarthenshire. And, you know, Wales is such a mythical, mystical landscape, you know, not the nature, you know, I spent half my childhood just like running around in forests um, with my friends um, in, in this sort of, yeah, in these places that felt quite ancient and wild. And then, of course, you know, all these ruined castles and there's sort of dragons everywhere and everything that's named after Merlin. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that's a very kind of mythical, mystical landscape. So I think that really probably set the foundations that by the time I heard Pentangle, I was like, oh, yeah, this is all kind of, um, <laughs> this is all coalescing. This is all kind of conspiring and pushing me in this, in this direction. Um, so, yeah, probably. And then as I've gotten a bit older, um, and also sort of becoming more interested in sort of spiritual ideas and things like that, I feel like, um, this, it's almost like this lost past of Britain that we've come, that we've become quite disconnected from. And like the kind of idea of this pagan past, um, is just very appealing to me and something that feels like we've kind of, we've lost our connection to in this country compared to say the Caribbean where my, my my mum's family are from you know they're much more connected to this idea of spirit and and nature and ritual you know that's still very much a part of the culture so um it's a sense that we've kind of lost that here and almost wanting to re re reconnect to that yeah and and what do you feel are the the things that we can all kind of benefit from through being kind of connected to the kind of the more the more spiritual side of life that you can find in 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 Albion and the mythical. <laughs> yeah, well, well, one of the things that comes up in the series is um, really a connection to the land and to the landscape. And um, that, you know, because I had quite this, almost like this double life. Like I grew up in London in a place called Hounslow, which is sort of like right near Heathrow Airport. Like yeah, I, right I, I grew up quite, path. yeah, like before I went, moved to Dorset, I grew up near Harrow. So I kind of like oh, know yeah. that little part of... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The Wild West. Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. It didn't even feel um, like London to me. It felt like I never really even went into London. It was just that there was still a big city that was a little way away from me. Yeah, it's it's sort of zone six. Yeah, so it's like it's really far out and it's kind of grey and a bit bleak and you sort of like, yeah, aeroplanes going over every like you know, every two minutes, whatever. And, you know, just as, as a kind of contrast to that sort of freedom that I had exploring the forests of Wales, you know, at, in London, I was just sort of cycle around my block of flats with my best friend who lived on the floor below me. So, you know, I, I had this sort of um, split screen almost, but um, I was really, really lucky to get that opportunity to kind of encounter nature and to sort of um, encounter spaces that were really wild and develop that connection to the land and to mm. the landscape. And that's really stuck with me. And um, that that is something that is incredibly kind of, you know, whether or not, you, I think the word spiritual can be quite loaded and a, and a lot of mm. people find it instantly kind of repellent. But I guess that feeling of kind of feeling grounded and feeling connected to the land and to the landscape and feeling connected to something that's much, much bigger, much, much older and wiser than you that can sort of, it's quite comforting in a way when you really connect, connect to that. So, um, that's, that's one thing. I think, I guess another lesson to learn from nature as well is like the interconnectedness of all, of all things and that we're sort of, we're not separate. And in our, you know, current, the current sort of paradigm in which we live, we kind of believe that we are separate from the natural world or from, 
you know, from each other at the moment that you know, that's felt even so much more, the fact that we're all in our little kind of isolated bubbles, disconnected from each other. And so, you know, this uh, bringing into your idea this idea and that kind of comes in through all these sort of animist belief systems and, you know, whatever we might um, kind of know about pagan religions, you know, this idea of this animist this spirit that kind of runs through all things, which connects us and actually is quite equalising and it actually puts human beings on a more... It kind of humbles us a little bit um, to think that we're not, it's not all about us, actually. We're part of this great um, interconnected kind of ecosystem of life. Um, but also, I guess another thing would be this idea of magic. I feel like one of the kind of things that we lose in growing up in such a kind of rational, hyper rational, um, materialist worldview is that, you know, there is so much magic to be um, found all around us in the natural world, in our encounters that we have with people in strange coincidences and finding that book that you just need at that perfect moment mm. you know this I feel like there's there is um so much kind of magic and wonder in life and somehow in if you have to sort of be open to it you have to kind of be you have to be willing to see it you have to be like wanting it and I feel like that's kind of what this idea of Albion it sort of encompasses all those things it's kind of like yeah, there's something hopeful in it and there's something kind of transcendent in, in a worldview that brings all those things in um, rather than one that kind of sort of separates everything out. Uh, I'm probably sounding really wah-wah woo-woo at the moment. I'm revealing my my true woo-woo to you. <laughs> no, I think a good bit of true woo-woo is really good, actually. I think there should, there should be like a sort of a woo-woo amnesty sometimes where people can just feel comfortable to say say those kind of things. And do you know, feel yeah. like music is such a way that that vibrations can be raised in order to let the true woo-woo in? <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. I feel like all music lovers are a bit woo-woo, whether they know it mm. or not, because I think what you're drawn to in, you know, what we're drawn to in music is that it's kind of, there's something, it's something transcendent. It's something beyond the sort of everyday. It's something that can lift you. It's something that can connect you. And it is, it's the kind of magnetic this magnetic pull you don't quite know what it is or why it is that you feel this draw but it's it's something I think it's the yeah the unexplainable um pull and that definitely you find that you find that in music um yeah I'm all about the woo-woo really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like what we need for our age we need like realistic realistic mysticism or like we need like grounded woo-woo-woo because like, yeah as you say there there is this tendency you know, I, 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 I would say that I'm quite a rational person, really, mm. but I somehow that sits along my woo-woo quite nicely. It's like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can be both things. And I feel like we need both things because, again, that's another thing that sort of came up in the series, talking to this um, amazing young kind of land activist called Sam Seaver. And um, they were talking, like, they're, they're from Jamaica originally. And they were talking about they went to uni, they weren't really connected to the landscape here. They went to uni and suddenly became friends with quite a lot of white English hippies. And then they'd like be going out camping trips and stuff. But what they found really difficult was that, um, that the, their sort of hippie friends didn't want to engage with politics. They didn't want to engage with the problems. It was just like all the woo woo, but none of the grit. Mm. And they said they found that quite problematic because it's like, you can't just hug trees and then like when it comes to race or something like that, like look the other, turn the other cheek, look the other way. It's like we need to, 
we need to sort of be connected to this kind of bigger picture, this interconnectedness, this magic that that exists. But at the same time, we can't just use that as an escape to run away from the problems that we face and like the more challenging things. So, and in a way that's kind of something that comes through Albion, like Albion at the start of the series, this idea of I, I kind of want to run away into this mythical mm. distant past because it's a conflict-free space, because it's an imagined space. But through the course of the series, it's kind of like, no, it's about kind of holding both of those spaces, holding the, the problematic and the kind of mythical all in one place. So, yeah, yeah it, it can be so tempting as well. I mean, I think when I first started having a few woo woo thoughts, I kind of <laughs> went a little bit too far into it. And I think there was maybe even a month or two where I perhaps didn't pay off a couple of bills because I was just thinking, that's OK, I'm just manifesting that they're going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it sort of became a thing of like, OK, use a little bit of that and use a little bit of the practical as well. Um, yeah. And it kind of feels like, particularly with folk music as well, was also about kind of passing on news and, and stuff like that, which to me feels like a perfect balance between the mystical and information, really. Absolutely. And I guess that's kind of one of the, I've always been really um, kind of drawn to folk musics of all kinds from around the world. Like I was very lucky to spend a few years working at a record shop called Honest John's, which Mm. is on Portobello Road. And, you know, they they have such an incredible um, spread of, of music from around the world and particularly um, you know, you know, Akora, that there's a really, really amazing French series of, um, sort of field recordings, um, under a label called Akora. And I so don't. I just kind of went, yeah, it's, right. um, really worth checking out. And so when I was, I sort of, I used to work midweek and it was quite quiet. So I'd just literally be putting CD after CD in. So you'd listen for, you know, some uh, accordion music from Colombia and then you'd be listening to, um, you know, Sufi sounds from Pakistan. And so listening to all these folk musics from around the world, kind of um, one after the other. And you just hear the resonances, you hear the similarities, you hear the the similar kind of um, melodic phrases, you hear the similar rhythms and you're like, these are, these are, you know, these are totally distinct musical traditions and yet within them we find all these parallels and resonances and connections and I feel like um, that's always been something that's kind of really important to me and as a mixed race person who's in a way sort of torn between these two cultures, two um, territories that have quite fraught history um, you know it's quite a comfort for me to to find those connections to find those parallels and to find the things that kind of bring bring us together um, um, in the face of you know histories which have kind of divide and, and separate us so folk music because I think I've always been drawn to folk music for that for that reason yeah and um, what, what about like when you were kind of growing up what, what were your family listening to so um my dad is a big jazz fan um and he he was in a folk band but he was sort of always in a as in a folk band as a kind of secret jazzer sort of undercover jazzer in a folk <laughs> band so he he listened to a lot of spiritual jazz like Alice Coltrane and Ferris Sanders and all and all and all that kind of stuff um and and Elvis and the Beatles those sort of that's mm. his um that's his sort of musical world and then my mum 
Well, and that both my parents are musicians as well. So my dad plays a double bass, guitar, piano, and my mum is a singer, that they were actually in a band together, and mm. that's how they met. So my mum is more like on the house on the house music thing. So she's just like I'd I'd spend the, the you know, the weekdays with my dad listening to Alice Coltrane and then on the weekends it'd just be my mum pumping out house, um House FM <laughs> all weekends and I'd be going, Turn it down, turn it down. Um but yeah, like a lot of soulful house and more kind of like jazz funk and rare groove and that sort of thing. Which in a way when when you look at sort of my musical landscape going from like what I'd play as a DJ to then mm. what I play on my NTS show. A lot of it admittedly does come from my parents. So, um, yeah, quite, quite a mix. Yeah. That's awesome. Definitely. And it kind of definitely feeds into, um, sort of honest John's as well. Was that, did that feel like a kind of like you were kind of explaining just now that there was a sort of sense of kind of connecting, um, like all of these different the sort of commonalities and uh, between music from different regions and stuff like that and the lack of borders, really. Um, it must have been like, did you have that sort of sense of, uh, of like being the person in the record shop, absorbing inf- information and, and giving out good like advice to people coming in? Yeah, well, it was quite, it was quite, um, I found it quite a challenge when I first started working there because I, I think I must have been about 21 and um, it was um, Alan, the owner's son, Budgie, who's uh, he's actually just kind of now producing stuff for Kanye West and stuff in, in LA. He he was leaving to sort of go on this journey to, to to America to pursue his dreams and he offered he just offered me a job and I was a bit like, Oh, I sort of, you know, I'd sort of been going to the shop for a little bit, but I did not feel um, really knowledgeable enough to do it. But obviously, you know, I, I said, yeah. And um, yeah, because Honest John's, is, it's, it's, it's a real institution. So mm. the people that come into the shop, like most of them are kind of 50 year old blokes who've been collecting reggae since they were like 14. And they've been coming to the shop for that for that long. And then, you know, then you're sort of there going, oh, um, I think this one's quite good. You know, so, <laughs> But I, I think a real turning point was um, actually realizing that I didn't have to know everything. I didn't have to be the um, the know the know it all. I just was there, there to learn, and actually to learn not only through just listening what's in the shop, but to learn through these uh, customers who are coming in who have who know knew so much about music. And um, I feel like, <laughs> especially with that sort of demographic that I've just described, you know, if you show a bit of an interest and you show them that you want to learn something, then they're no longer looking at you like, who's this, who's this girl behind <laughs> yeah. the counter? They're like, oh, let me tell you about, uh, you know, uh, King Tubby's yeah. first release on da da da. And I'm like, so I kind of, um, I learned a lot, I learned a lot. And then, of course, then sort of letting go of this idea that I had to know everything, then I, I felt a bit more comfortable to sort of share recommendations and just felt a bit more confident. Um, so, yeah, but I think work, as a young woman working in that shop, it was quite, it, I had to get, I had to sort of, um, yeah, I had to get used to, <laughs> used to um, the clientele. But yeah, such, it's it's an amazing space. I felt very lucky to sort of just go there and, and absorb all of this sort of knowledge and music um, for, for a few days a week, every week. And um, definitely has grounded, grounded me. Um, in my in my musical knowledge, yeah, yeah. And did that lead on directly to the uh, to questing? Um, yeah, in a way, it did. I mean, I I was volunteering at NTS as a producer, um, kind of when I finished uni, maybe like before I actually was working on this John. So I kind of had a connection with NTS there, um, 
And yeah, then I kind of got to know some of the people and then it was actually, yeah, Femi, um, who runs NTS actually did think came into the shop, came into Honest John's and then off- offered me a show. And I was kind of like, ah. but it, actually it was quite, cause I was sort of like, I, I knew I didn't want to just do the same thing. Cause I was really, at that time I was very much more into my jazz and kind of soul and things like that. But I kind of knew I wanted to do something different with the show. Mm-hmm. So it was an ama- amazing resource, um, then to be in the shop with this idea of like a, a show, like how do I want it to sound? What would I like, you know, how could I make it something unique to me? And actually kind of broadening my, broadening out then to sort of, to um, include some of the the further reaches of my taste and slightly strange music from around the world and, and wanting to, um, I guess, yeah, it's still hard to pinpoint what this, what, what connects the music on the show, because I do play lots of different genres, but I think it's, you know, it's, there's something, this it's all of it's quite deep music in a way yeah. music that's very moving and um you might say spiritual but not obviously spiritual but just yeah kind of deep <laughs> no that's so vague but music that really kind of makes me feel something um and so then I'd kind of just like go go through the racks and just be kind of seeking out tracks that would make me feel something and then eventually kind of building a bit of a, a sonic identity um, but yeah, Honest John's was definitely a big part in that in that journey. Yeah, and I, I love the way you're sort of describing about um, how, how you sort of overcome the uh, sort of issues with talking. I guess like the kind of uh, uh, the the impression that you might feel that kind of the record collectors might initially have and stuff like that. And and I do feel like with questing as well and and kind of a lot more dialogue now. We're getting into much more of a understanding of being able to talk about how music feels rather than the sort of technical specifics that sometimes I feel that me myself have felt kind of a little bit alienated from that maybe I, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know which original, this was an original Atlantic record and I didn't (laughs) know that, you know, sorry. Do you you feel like we're getting better at sort of being able to communicate? Like, I guess like what what goes into what you're saying as well about the kind of the deepness of music as well and the resonance of music more than the technical specifics. Yeah, I've never really, I I like, I like to find out, I mean, especially when I did my show monthly, I felt I had a lot more time to sort of research. Mm. And my thing I'm interested in is, you know, it's like almost that kind of anthropological aspect so kind of where was this made who were the people making it where does the tradition come from how does it connect to this this kind of tradition um that's the sort of information that I'm much more drawn to and interested in than like sort of material things about pressings and you know but like there are so many different ways in into music and there's so many different kind of ways of appreciating it I I don't know if I mean, I think because a lot of people are still kind of tied up in that yeah. sort of um, record collector. And, and you know, a lot of it is also kind of ego as well. So it's, it's mm. kind of like, I know the most, I know the most, and I've got the most, and I had this one, but you've got that one, but I've got the one before that one. It's kind of like, yeah. So I, I feel like that's it's still, it's still a part of the scene, but mm. I feel like because of the sort of, you know, thinking about this, the kind of sheer breadth of radio shows and stations and platforms and ways for people to share their music. It just means that it's not kind of monopolized by a certain type, by a certain way of, of sharing music or kind of enjoying music. And I think that opens up different possibilities. And yeah, as you say, you know, that, you know, you can listen to my show where you'll get some facts, but it's really about the almost the sort of emotional journey that you'll go on. Yeah. But then you might, 
you might listen to someone like Patrick Forge, who's an incredible DJ and he's so knowledgeable and he knows all the stuff about the mm. pressings and whatever, but he, it's not, it's, it's done with love and, and there's also an emotional aspect too. So I, I don't, I don't see it any, it's, as anyone as better or worse, but I guess it's nice to have a diversity in different ways. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think it's, again, it's a little bit like what we were talking about earlier on about like balancing the practical with, with the kind of the more emotional or, or vibrational kind of, factors as well isn't it and I think I think all aspects are important and I think the more um, I guess knowledgeable technical knowledgeable is is like you know it goes into the sense of folk music as well in terms that people are passing on knowledge you know and keeping a tradition alive aren't they so I guess I guess even the most train spottery person is in in a way they're like a folk and you know archivist that is Mm. you know keeping knowledge going you know Exactly. And you need both, you know, you're thinking about with these old traditions, you know, you have, you have the archivist and they play their, their role. And then you have the sort of, you have the player, the impassioned, you know, player who plays their role. And then you have the kind of journalist who has their role that, you know, so all these things kind of have to come together to sort of, you know, to, to kind of create the scene or to, to deepen an understanding or to preserve these things. I don't know. I feel like you, it's, it's kind of good to have different roles, but I guess it's, it's just about, I think the problem is where people are made to feel less than for not knowing all the stuff about the pressings or not yeah. knowing or not having the original copy or da 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 That, if that somehow is seen as, uh, um, yeah, if you're seen as less than for not knowing that those things, that's when, that's when there's an issue. And I do think that a kind of gender thing does come into this as well, because I feel that that, that kind of very collectory train spottery <laughs> approach to collecting music does come from quite a, a kind of masculine urge and not to say that it's about you know I don't believe in kind of gender absolutes but it is quite a sort of it's kind of a hangover it's kind of like quite a male thing you might say and um and there are there are other ways of 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 enjoying music and no one is is kind of better than the other yeah. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you about that. And I think which also kind of leads me to to questing as well. And it's like, there's been so many points in this year where, like, even though I don't have a normal week structure, it's like Saturday, I've had a nice coffee, I get back in, do a bit of housework and questing's on it. It just feels like it hits the right point. <laughs> it's like that <laughs> is the point of the weekend beginning in a way. And um, it's sort of, uh, it, like you're saying, it has there's such a sort of journey to listening to it. Um, and um, it's, it's also really comforting as well. Is it a comforting process for you kind of putting it together? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, there are times when I sort of get a bit frustrated, especially if I'm like busy in the week and I'm like, oh God, I've got to put the show together. Oh God, what am I going to play? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then as soon as I do it, and um, especially over the lockdown, you know, it's people have become a lot more active in the chat room. People send me messages. I think people have kind of really felt the need. It's like become an anchor for people. So even though I can get a bit, you know, like groggy about it at times, um, as soon as I start, if I start off in a bad mood, I'm always in a better mood by the end of the show. And, you know, on this, on this, on the weeks where I haven't done the show because I've been busy or, or I just wanted a break, I've kind of felt, I felt there's something missing because I, it's a kind of grounding and an anchoring for me every Saturday and a kind of a, a bit of a ritual. And I feel like, um, the way that I kind of put the show together, it, it always has that sort of in mind that even if, it sort of starts with something more melancholic or a bit darker that there is always a kind of journey into a different space. Mm. And 
it is quite, I, I mean, I personally, I mean, whether or not anyone else kind of feels that, I find it quite transformative in that way, that it does sort of move, it does help me to sort of move move through into a different space. So, yeah, and, and um, yeah, especially during the lockdown, it's been quite sort of heartwarming to um, have received lots of messages and then sort of like people li- listening in different parts of the world, shouting out their friends who they've invited, who they've told about the show in other parts of the world. And it does feel a way like a real way of connecting to people every Saturday um which is which is really nice um and somehow with all my rambling and uh kicking the microphone and sticky <laughs> buttons and you know general chaos it's like NTS is still uh allowing me to broadcast so <laughs> that's good <laughs> um but yeah and actually doing it for my bedroom has kind of been it at times annoying because of space but it's also quite it kind of um you know, almost reinforces that real, real personal aspect to the show, which I think is kind of what people um, like about it, or what people seem, what's pe- what seems to resonate with people. It's that I am kind of just like you do get a little bit of me just being myself, and there mm. isn't. Sometimes I wish I had more of a filter, but um, I think yeah, it's it's um, it's a nice personal thing. Sometimes doing it from my room, yeah. And and just finally, like what the word, uh, like you sort of like it's called questing, and then. Uh, my Albion, there's a kind of quest theme to that. And you've, you've actually dropped the word quest a couple of times since we've <laughs> been talking. What is it about quests? <laughs> uh, it's actually quite a long story. Um, I'll try and condense it. But basically, around the time when I was offered my show, I basically had this sort of encounter with this, uh, you might kind of say, kind of spiritual, like a spiritual guide I don't know just this man I met in a in a in a cafe called McCann's which is this really nice Malaysian cafe just down the road from Honest John's and um he was sort of having this conversation with this woman that I overheard and they were sort of talking about mysticism and Islam and I just kind of was really captivated and I just I was like I have to talk to these people mm. and I ended up getting into this long um conversation with this man about what he described as a sort of quest um this kind of this this quest that all this kind of like how to explain him this kind of quest which is in his in his words the sort of spiritual journey of kind of um learning more about yourself asking questions about the world around you sort of using your natural capacity for empathy um intuition intellect and using these kind of tools that we all have to sort of guide you on your personal quest uh, for kind of self realization i guess and um there was there was more to it what he said but this kind of idea really stuck with me and so that was kind of gave me the title for questing and that it's something that's kind of continued um and this idea of yeah challenging questioning and sort of um probing and looking a bit deeper and really sort of trying to tr- yeah trying to not just sort of plod your way through life but mm. to sort of really tune in to what's around you and what is sort of being asked of you and to use your sort of inner compass I guess to sort of meet the world in universe halfway and find your course through this <laughs> through this life and it kind of ties in with I don't know if you've read The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell and um, I haven't but I'm, I'm aware of the concept and um, yeah I've read the Wikipedia page yeah aha yeah <laughs> well that you've got the idea so this idea that we're all kind of on these kind of individual quests that somehow kind of um, coalesce and come together um, 
And um, this is an idea that's kind of stuck with me, really. Yeah, it kind of sounds like I'm about to launch some big merch thing, some kind of <laughs> yeah. questing merch that I'm just dropping. Like, <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> advertising these, for... These am- this amazing app will help you find the first <laughs> person that you're... Exactly. <laughs> Um, no nothing like that but yeah I don't know if I explained that really well but it's a kind of it is a kind of governing principle um that sort of that's kind of stuck with me and yeah hopefully resonates with with other people too a bit but yeah I did try and email that guy that I met in the uh, in the cafe um to find out more and he never got back to me so they're never meant to well I I think because I I mean like I take an impression of what you're saying we can never really know exactly if everyone means the same thing but I've had my experience it's been a couple of times in my life where like I've met someone like maybe at an airport or something like that and they've given me a book you know we maybe exchanged emails and nothing's ever happened but like something changed after that maybe like they just kind of woke me up a little bit or something I don't know but um absolutely yeah Yeah, they kind of these it's like you know thinking about these old kind of myths and legends it's like you know you meet the kind of the wise old man by the mountain who tells you to go this way and then you're like go halfway down that path and you're like oh my god where am I going you know it's sort of having to sort of navigate this kind of this um, strange, strange journey and taking lessons and, and wisdom. It's it's a mystery, really. It's a kind of, it's a mystery, but it's a kind of um, a beautiful, um, exciting, sometimes scary and confusing <laughs> mystery. Um, but we, the, we do meet these sort of beacons and guides every now and then who sort of give you a little nudge in a direction. And, and um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what the quest is all about. Yeah. Thank you so much. That is great. Thanks for the explanation of that. <laughs> That was Zacchaeus Ewell. I'd like to thank Zacchaeus so much for sharing her thoughts and her time with Lost and Sound uh, on that few days ago in the beginning of December. And I really, really kind of listening back this morning to uh, the interview, I it was really, there was so much I kind of felt drawn on related to sort of how my interest in Englishnesses and all the kind of complexities of that, she kind of sort of, I felt for me, she took it to the the next level. Um, I love the way she talks about the woo-woo as well and all of the kind of, (laughs) kind of complexities and sort of like, I guess, problematic issues that can come from that. But the way she talked about it, I just felt a real sense of connectedness between so many elements, um, like all of the, weird ecosystems that go into music from record collectors to producers to makers to DJs to writers and how that kind of relates to nature I guess you can check out my Albion if you've not listened already um there I'll put a link in the podcast socials and on the podcast description and questing is on every Saturday on NTS I do hope you have a lovely day. I just realised I'm really near a place that sells amazing vegan donuts, and I am going to well treat myself to one. And it's going to be great. And take care, and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Lost and Sound, written and produced by me, Paul Hanford. Title music by ESO.
big thanks to Kieran Yates in the UK for mastering the levels. And this episode is being hosted by Bear Radio, and you can check out other English language podcasts from Berlin by going on bearradio.org. And if you enjoyed listening, please hit subscribe and leave a comment. It really does help. And you can also donate to the production costs of Making Lost and Sound by buying me a digital coffee at coffee.com. There's a link in the socials. Take care and speak to you soon.